0: chapter number 5. We're going to call the message tonight Running After Righteousness. Running After Righteousness, a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. Jesus went up into a mountain, it says, in the beginning of chapter 5. He went up into a mountain, and when He was set, He called His disciples unto Him, and He began to preach and to teach. And He taught them about the the nature of the characteristics of what the subjects of His kingdom would be expected to display now he came to offer a kingdom the Jews turned him down they decided they didn't want it now, the Pharisees thought man we're righteous enough already we don't need we don't need him and uh, we think he's an impostor now he still has a, a kingdom within the heart of the believer and he'll have a literal kingdom when he comes back at the second coming but he describes what the nature of these people participating in his kingdom will be like and he let these folks know that was listening to him on that hillside he let them know what it would be like if they were participants in his kingdom what does a what does the subject of his kingdom look like and sound like and act like anyway well this set of virtues would be characteristics that would reflect all of us as believers right now, because if you accepted Christ as Savior, He's the King of your heart, and one day He'll be a literal King sitting on the throne in Jerusalem, but these virtues describe what He would expect out of us now, so look at it from that standpoint, and uh, this is what believers will really be like, what we're going to be studying out out of the Beatitudes, the Blesseds, we're going to see how that blessedness, that happiness, that joy, that satisfaction, that fulfillment is really like inside when you are a submitted believer, follower of Jesus Christ, even in this church age. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you'd bless us as we go into this passage of Scripture. Lord, thank you for not only saving us, but showing us what a real believer looks like and acts like. In your kingdom, I pray that you'd bless the message tonight. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. We pray that you'd be free just to invade every heart under the sound of my voice tonight with your holiness, with your righteousness, with your leadership, Lord, and change us and make us different because we've been here. In Jesus' name, Amen. We're going to focus on just one verse tonight, and it's Matthew five six. It says, "Blessed." Are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. We're going to focus on this one verse and as we do it, I think we're going to just kind of keep it simple and look at the terms involved in this verse. Uh, In expository preaching, a lot of times we'll have an extended passage of scripture that might be several verses long uh, and maybe even a whole chapter at times. Since we have one verse, we're going to look at the terms and dissect it and see if we can define it and describe it so that we can grasp it. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this, quote, The simplest way, perhaps, to approach the text is just to look at its terms It is one of those texts that divides itself for us and all we have to do is look at the meaning of the various terms which are used. I agree pretty much with what he's saying that if we can just understand what those words mean, we'll have the gist of what Jesus meant by saying, blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness because they shall be filled. Notice with me the first thing we're going to look at, the term that we probably ought to define first and that's the word righteousness what is righteousness well it's not the holier than thou attitude you know like uh, i've arrived and you haven't or let me show you how a real christian acts watch me i'm going to do it it's not that kind of an attitude it is an attitude but it is the attitude of hungering and thirsting after that which is right the 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 old preacher of uh Decades ago, old Bob Jones Sr. said, do right, do right, do right until the stars fall. Do right. So righteousness has to to do with doing right. And nobody used to have to have it defined to them what it is to do right. Now today... The world that we live in, uh, for the most part. Now, you know, but there's a lot of folks out there as you watch on TV, they've turned the world upside down. And Jesus said, Woe unto them. He said, The day is going to come, and woe unto them that call evil good and good evil. Well, we're there. <laughs> we're at the place where people don't, or at least pretend to not know, what is right and what is wrong. We used to know, and there's a few. Places where people still know, but we need to define it and we need to be able to describe it for the world around us. We're not to hunger and thirst after happiness. We're to hunger and thirst after what? Righteousness. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and these things shall be added unto you. Isn't that what the scripture says, Matthew six thirty three. Seek ye first. That means... As far as priorities go, instead of seeking happiness, no, seek righteousness. And then the happiness will show up. Happiness is really not as good a word as blessedness or joyfulness because happiness comes from a word that means kind of the same thing as happenstance. Things happen in your life. I mean, (laughs) something happens, it's not pleasant. It's not, it's painful. Distressing. but you can still be blessed and you can still be joyful but if you're just happy it comes and goes with the ebbs and flow of circumstances but Jesus meant for listen Jesus meant for the believers to have a lasting blessedness and joy that endures those times when it doesn't feel good and those times happen how many, how many never had a problem Huh? You know what I'm talking about. We have those times. And joy can still be there. Blessedness, receiving that which God has for us to endure those things is what we're after. This world is immersed in what I call pleasure mania. Pleasure mania. You know, whatever feels good, that's what we want to do. That's why there's more, that's why there's more abortions. That's why there's more uh uh uh, li- living together situations without the benefit of marriage. The Bible calls that fornication. Uh, but that's not what it's say Now, it, it used to be that people were embarrassed about having a baby out of wedlock. Now it's celebrated. And so people want to have their pleasure. Uh, used to a Christian wouldn't want to be caught at a casino gambling. But now they seem to not mind anybody knowing. There was a time when, uh, when Christians all seemed to know that drinking wasn't a good thing. And now there's many Christians, quote, Christians, who say there's nothing wrong with drinking. After all, Jesus made wine. Well, there's more than one kind of wine in the Bible. The word oinos, the Greek word oinos, means the fruit of the vine. Uh, shakar, the Hebrew word in the Old Testament, means the fruit of the vine. And it can mean it can mean raisins. It can mean peach or a grape jam. It can mean grape jelly. It can mean grape juice, and it can mean intoxicating wine. So every time you see the word wine in the Bible, in the English Bible, uh, it doesn't mean the getting drunk kind of wine. And I'm a teetotaler. And I don't intend to become an imbiber just because there's a lot of, even whole churches at this time, there's many churches that promote drinking as part of their ceremonies and uh, they get a buzz out of it. But we live in a pleasure-seeking world. But blessedness, now listen, here's where we're going tonight. Blessedness comes when we seek righteousness with a fervency. Not just... Well, I can do it or do without it. No, this, this scripture says hunger and thirst after righteousness. That's more than just saying, well, I can take it or leave it. That means I'm chasing it. I'm, I'm after it. Righteousness is at the top of the list. When we, cho- when we chase happiness, we lose it because happiness is found in another thing. Happiness for the sake of happiness is a wrong pursuit. Chase righteousness, chase obedience to God, be submissive to God, and then happiness is a byproduct of it. But we oftentimes pass, we, we chase the byproduct instead of the primary thing. When a man is in pain, he naturally wants to get rid of it. <laughs> they asked me last week after I got out of surgery, I can just barely remember being in the. Uh, in the uh, recovery room, and they asked me how I felt. I said, I feel awful. And my wife said, I've always been a really good patient, but i was a little bit meaner this time than usual. <laughs> I, I don't mean to be mean, but I told her, I said, I'm hurting. I don't feel comfortable at all. I'm hurting. Uh, I, I, I am hurting all over. From, from my neck down, I'm hurting. And when we have pain, we try to find relief of that pain, but many times the pain is the symptom, or we're chasing after relief of symptoms instead of going for what caused the pain. I mean, if if your uh, if your cat gets his tail caught under the rocking chair, that's pain. He's going to try to get out, isn't he? Well, the best thing to do instead of trying to try and figure out a way to get the cat's tail out from under the rocking chair is don't put the cat's tail under the rocking chair in the first place, right? And so we. We ought to be looking for ways to prevent the pain instead of ways just to relieve the problem. That's why people drink and why people do drugs and why people have addictions of all sorts. Because they're, they're looking for some way to have pleasure and to reduce the pain. And they don't realize, realize like Solomon did on their Sunday morning series in Ecclesiastes. Solomon said, man, I've had everything, I've done everything, but still there's a, there's a hole in me that I can't fill. Only God can fill that. And this is true of those outside the church and those inside churches. People, keep in mind, we're talking about righteousness. And I said it wasn't a holier-than-thou attitude, right? But many times, if, if what I understand about righteousness is correct, then righteousness has to do with an attitude towards sin. It's not trying to be better than somebody else, but it's trying to be what God expects us to be. And so when I'm trying to be righteous and I'm seeking righteousness, it doesn't mean, hey, I'm trying to do better than you are. No, it means I'm trying to do what he wants. Do you see the difference? There's people all over the planet right now that... So, well, those church people, you know, they think they're better than anybody else. Or if we have some rule, like we we had to uh, pass a, uh, some amendments to our Constitution, and, and one of those was that we just, we married people, if, people used to ask us if they could have their wedding ceremonies here, and, uh, <clears throat> and we used to not see anything wrong with that. But since... Since the homosexual movement has gained so much traction, and in the legal ground as well, if we let people outside of our church borrow the church for a wedding ceremony, that puts us closer to the line where we have to open it up to anybody. And so then, if a couple of homosexuals come in and say, "We want to, we want to use your church to get married," we say, "No, you're not getting married here." Then they can. They're more likely to get you in court. You understand? And so they think we're being judgmental. No, we're trying to do what he wants. And so we did the amendment just to say, well, if we just limit it to church membership, then we don't have to make those decisions. Yes, you can, and no, you can't. And so we just let people in here. And... To be clear about it, you know, to be a member of this church, you need, need to not be a homosexual or lesbian. So that should cut it off uh, at, the, at the start. As Barney Fife would say, nip it in the bud, right? And so we, uh, we get criticism for that from the world because they think, well, they're just judgmental. No, we're trying to follow him. God says certain things are sin and certain things are an abomination, And so if I'm going to make somebody mad, I'd rather it be them than him. You with me? John Phillips, talking about joy coming when we move closer to the Lord and his righteousness. John Phillips said, the fourth beatitude tells us that we are to aim at being righteous. We are to hunger and thirst after righteousness. A person who is desperately hungry or thirsty can think of nothing else. Hunger and thirst are the most basic and demanding drives of our physical nature. No one can ignore them for long. Happy is the man who has an equally strong desire to be like God. Righteousness. Oh, to be like Him. In other words, when we're poor in spirit, as we went through in one of the earlier messages of the Beatitudes, when we poor in spirit, realize how bankrupt we are as human beings, and we mourn over that sin, then that brings us to this point where we see that as we push the sin aside and say, I'd rather please Him than to indulge in the pleasures of sin, and it's our attitude, it doesn't mean we're sinless perfect. It does mean that our aim, our ambition, our purpose is to please Him instead of enjoying the pleasures of sin and we we earnestly desire it's when to hunger and thirst after righteousness when we earnestly desire to be like him and to rid ourselves of the sin that would rule our lives and sin is a cruel master it will rule your life when you begin to let it in it's like the proverbial camel's nose under the tent door when the camel gets his tent under the Uh, his nose under the tent, he's going to flip it over. And the devil wants to do that with sin. Once he gets us uh, looking at sin like it's not such a bad thing after all, then we have taken a different attitude towards sin than he has. Is he loving? Yes. Is he forgiving? Yes. But does he think sin is okay? No. He told the woman taken in adultery when the Pharisees wanted to stone her to to put Jesus in a tight spot where he had to make an unpopular decision he told the woman after he had dismissed the crowd, he said, you, you that are without sin, cast the first stone. And when they all began to walk away, because they knew they were, they knew they were guilty, and they, as they walked away, Jesus said, now go your way, woman. He didn't say and live it up. He said, go your way and sin no more. Why did Jesus come? We sing about Jesus being born in Bethlehem, but what did he come? Why did he come? What was his name? Emmanuel. Why did they name him Jesus and Emmanuel? Why did they call him Messiah? It's because he came to save his people from their sin. He didn't come just to be a cuddly babe in Bethlehem. He came to live a life sin-free and die on a cross so that he could be the sinless substitute for our sins of which we could never pay In 1 John 1, 1.4, I think we can get the gist of this. It has to do with fellowshipping with Jesus. When we hunger and thirst after righteousness, doing right, it has to do with not only the attitude but the doing of right. See, some people like to think about doing good. But the Lord wants us to carry that attitude out into action. And that's when we have to be ready to face temptation. But here's what it says in 1 John 1, 4. And these things write we unto you that your joy may be full. This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him, that's the key word, fellowship with him, and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. So what's he interested in? Is he just interested in us saying, boy, I want to be righteous. Well, he's interested in us feeling that way and having that attitude. That's where it begins in the heart. But then he says, the way we walk tells the story. It's not enough just to say we're religious. It's not just enough to say we're a Christian. Not just enough to say we're Baptists or we go to church. But that we are Walk. Lester Roloff said that that your your talk is important, but your walk is more important. <laughs> we need to remember some of the old time preachers and what they said. I think what's happened in recent years, and I've seen it in my my short lifetime, maybe more than some of the younger people have, because. As we live longer, we get to see a broader spectrum of what happens in the world. And I've seen this over the last several decades that preachers have figured out that they can get a bigger attendance, more offerings, build a grander ministry if they cater to people's felt needs You know what that means? They're felt needs. Preacher, tell me, tell me how much Jesus loves me. Well, He does love you, and you need to hear that. But if I get overbalanced and just telling people, <coughs> Jesus loves you and Jesus loves you, and uh, and you're okay, pat him on the back. You've, yeah, you've been in sin. Go out and do it some more. It's okay. Jesus still loves you. If preachers cater to felt needs and dealing with Pop psychology topics in life, instead of with what the Bible says about sin, then we get overbalanced, and we get what I call sloppy agape, where we're just talking about oh lovey dovey this and lovey dovey that, and good Lord, good devil, good everything, you know. Well, if we don't balance out the message from the church, then we. Cater to people's felt needs. They feel like certain things need to be addressed in their lives. It's about me, me, me. What happened about him, him, him? Seek ye first his righteousness. He didn't say, get your, get your feelings soothed at church. I don't know how many times we've lost, <laughs> we've lost people because they didn't, get, they didn't get their felt needs Met. I believe in trying to address those needs. Many of those needs are mentioned in the Bible and we preach on them and try to get to them but we're not to get overbalanced where we're just meeting people's needs. We exclude God altogether when we do that. He's not a big Santa Claus in the sky just trying to meet all of our needs. He deserves our worship. He deserves our submission. He deserves our obedience and the only way we can please Him substantially is to seek righteousness acts here'm not acts but Amos you you've heard this verse before the reason I think a lot of uh, a lot of a lot of folks are migrating into churches where the felt needs are being met more maybe they're getting neglected some in, in other churches but it might be that they're just needing to wanting more focus on them instead of focus on God. Here's here's why I think it's happening. In Amos 8 11, eight eleven. The prophet said, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord God, that I will send a famine in the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. And they shall wander from sea to sea, and from the north even to the east. And they shall run to and fro and seek the word of the Lord and shall not find it. But in that day shall the fair virgins and the young men faint for thirst. People are thirsty. People are hungry. And people are trying to get their needs met. But they go about it in the, in the wrong way. Because they're saying, I feel this way. I want you to make me feel better. Well, in the Bible, the Bible says in, in Proverbs that if we get our thoughts established... If we get our works established, our thoughts will be established. In other words, if you do right, you'll think right. There's way too many folks that are are having to run to get counsel and medication for everything under the sun emotionally when their joy is not going to come from that. A lot of times what's causing the problems is that we're not seeking the Lord and His righteousness and not hungering and thirsting after righteousness. So we've talked about righteousness. Now let's talk about the other two terms, hunger and thirst, hunger and thirst. Now, you know what that is, or do you? A jet fighter was shot down behind enemy lines. It's a true story. He was shot down behind enemy lines and in enemy territory he would... He would sneak around by night and travel trying to get back across the front lines. And he'd hide out in daytime because they were searching, the enemy was searching for him. And he had no food, no water. And it was days and days and days and days. He finally made it across, but you know how he survived? He ate worms and bugs, weeds. He ate grub worms, insects. That's all he had, but he survived. Have you been that hungry? I haven't yet. I haven't been hungry enough to eat bugs yet. They say they're good. I I, I haven't tried them. (laughs) I think they want us to eat bugs, but I'm not going to if I can keep from it. That pilot, eventually got back across the lines because he was so hungry, he kept himself alive by eating stuff that you and I probably wouldn't enjoy. Now, when you get hungry enough for the righteousness of God, like that guy would have been who could have become a prisoner of war, if you get hungry enough for the righteousness of God, then you're hungering in the right way. you don't know what hunger is if you get to the point where you eat worms and bugs I used to haul hay in the summertime when I was a kid growing up in the country in Hizzard County we didn't have many ways teenagers couldn't make money very many ways we caught chickens and hauled hay and maybe hauled a little firewood and so we didn't make a lot of money but in the summertime it'd be blazing hot you know 100 degrees and we're and we're hauling hay and throwing hay up on top of that wagon and and going across the field, crisscrossing back and forth across the field, throwing those bales of hay up on the hay wagon, sweat just rolling, burning up, and boy, we'd get back close to the barn to unload the hay, and here would come the farmer's wife out with a big old galvanized bucket. (laughs) Uh, They didn't have coolers back then, or if they did, we didn't see them. Uh, They had an old galvanized bucket, probably three or four gallons, I guess, and that old galvanized bucket with a galvanized metal dipper in it and a couple of trays of ice cubes thrown in that bucket of water man we'd rush to that bucket and get that little dipper and turn it up get an ice cube or two and drink that down let some of it run down your chin down your chest man that ice water was like heaven we were thirsty i mean it had all run out and that was like Nothing you could imagine. When you're that thirsty, you would drink any... I mean, we're sharing that old metal dipper. Some of those old boys that grew up up there, drink, they're chewing tobacco, and they got tobacco juice running down on both sides of their chin and drinking that same dipper that we're drinking out of. But boy, it tastes good. We probably didn't have worms either. <laughs> when you get hungry. I'm asking, are you, are you hungry and thirsty? For the righteousness of Christ. Or is it just something you take it or leave it? Hungry and thirsty. Do we really know what hunger and thirst is? Um, last week, you know, when you get old, you, you, talk to, you talk about your health problems and how many prescriptions you're taking. That's what we do for entertainment when we get old. <laughs> last week after the surgery, my system, the, the anesthesia and the, and the pain relievers and stuff, stopped my system man it just stopped it everything just stopped flowing and uh and so I had to go on a liquid diet for two or three days last week and 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 Paul when he was teaching i was watching Sunday school on Sunday morning Paul has to talk about fasting and then Chad talked about fasting what do you do you guys get together and do that <laughs> and so and Paul even insinuated probably nobody around here fasts anymore. And I'm sitting there with my stomach shrunk in, my belly button rubbing against my backbone. It's so hungry. And I have not eaten in days. I'm having jello, water, a little juice. Aaron got me some chicken broth. Man, that was like eating a T bone steak. Get a little chicken broth. And I mean, there's nothing in it, just juice. Boy, I was hungry. Well, I, I don't know, it's three or four days. Things got okay, and I was able to eat again. Man, you're talking about chowing down on some stuff, but I didn't want to overdo it. You know why? Because once your stomach shrinks, and then you eat too much all at once trying to make up for it, you would, uh, you'd bloat that stomach out and probably make yourself sick, and you'd have to throw up. I didn't want to do that either. So I started off eating slow, but boy, I was chewing it up and enjoying the daylights out of it. The same thing happens when... When people come to church and they hear about righteousness and they hear about the things of God and they hear about about living for the Lord, they think, man, that's too much. I can't do all of that. Well, it comes as we gradually submit to the Lord, as we gradually pursue His righteousness, a little more, a little more, a little more, here a little, there a little, then we begin to handle more of it. I could eat a horse right now, but I couldn't last week. And the more you follow the Lord and the more you submit to him and the more you crave and hunger and thirst after his righteousness then you'll be able to handle more of it. So I say to the new Christians and I say to the, to the weak Christians and I say to those who haven't really progressed much in their Christian life, if, if it sounds too much when, when you're hearing a sermon, you're hearing a Sunday school lesson or, or gaining some Christian counsel of some kind, if it sounds like too much, hang on a little while. Try to digest what you're getting and then little by little add to it and you'll get to where you can handle more of it. And the more of God's righteousness we handle, the happier we'll be. Psalm 42, verse 1 and 2. You know this verse, too. These verses. As the heart panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? <coughs> the psalmist said, man, I'm hungry for God. I'm thirsty for God. And I think Christianity used to have more of that than we have now. There used to be times when people would weep over their sins. There were times when people would beg God for His power in their life to overcome temptation. When they would ask God for His strength, His power, so that they could witness to people and win them to Christ. I don't know that we're there nowadays like we used to be. But when we seek after God with a genuine hunger and thirst... And that's really what we want. Genuinely want to be in fellowship with him, to please him. You see, we don't don't have a bunch of rules just so we can say, man, ain't I something? I can keep all of those rules. No, that's not. That's what the Pharisees did. The Pharisees said, man, we don't even need a Savior. We're so good. We keep all the rules. Man, we never did anything wrong. (laughs) We've arrived. And that's why Jesus is preaching this to these people in Israel at this particular time. Because he expected more out of people than what the Pharisees had. They had an outward appearance of being righteous, but they were far from it. He said they drew nigh to God with their lips, but their heart was far from him. When we begin to draw nigh to God and desire him, well, even in the 23rd Psalm, the third verse of the 23rd Psalm, everybody knows this one. It says, he restoreth my soul, He leadeth me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. What God intends to do is to lead me in certain paths. But what are those paths? The paths of righteousness. He didn't want to lead me in the paths that would bring me earthly pleasures. If we enjoy a few things on the journey, that's okay, but that's not what we're to to pursue. So righteousness, hunger and thirst, and then what happens? Let's throw this last thing in or we wouldn't be done. The third thing, you'll be filled. You'll be filled. Let me get back over there just for a moment. Matthew chapter 5, verse number 6. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. Look at that last phrase. For they might be filled, shall be filled. For they shall be filled. Did God ever make a promise He didn't keep? I think not. If He says, we hunger and thirst after righteousness, we want to be more like Him, we want to live like Him, we want to please Him, He said, then you'll be filled. Now, along this path, this earthly path, we will enjoy some of this filling that He gives us when we, when we seek after righteousness. We'll enjoy some of that here. But there is an ultimate eschatological, if you want to throw. Out, I just want you to know I knew a new big word. There is a significance, a prophetical significance, when He comes back, or when we go to be with Him earlier, if that time comes first. When we're in His presence, that's the ultimate filling. If we have sought to please Him, we have sought to be filled with His righteousness and not only just an attitude of longing for it, but in acting it out in reality, then he says the ultimate filling will come when we're in his presence. Well, what does that mean? Well, let's take the negative side of it first. First of all, who's not going to be filled? Well, John Phillips again said this. He said, one of the horrors of hell is the fact that God will ultimately say to the lost he that is unjust, unrighteous, let him be unjust still. Revelation twenty two eleven. Lost people will crave righteousness in hell. They'll wish they could go back and change things, but they'll never be filled. It will never come. So those of us who have been born again have something great to look forward to. And what is it? Well, First Corinthians two nine it says, "But as it is written, I have not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things that get, which God hath prepared for them that love Him, those that have pursued His righteousness, those who have longed to be like Him." He says, "Man, you can't even imagine what He's got in store." I wish, I wish we could just get a kind of you know how they have those little trailers for a for a film that's going to show at a theater or something, you can get a little trailer uh, and see what a movie's going to be like. Boy, I wish we had just a little video of heaven. What it would be like to be standing in his presence. What would it be like to enter heaven's gates as Pastor Sexton did yesterday? Pastor Se- Sexton served his whole adult life serving God. And yesterday he stepped into the presence and into the arms of the Lord Jesus What would it be like to look into the eyes of Jesus and to have Him wrap His arm around your shoulder and look at you eyeball to eyeball and say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of thy Lord. What would that be like? Eye hath not seen, ear hath not heard. We only have just a glimpse of it through the Word of God but we've got enough of a glimpse of it that we know it's going to be fantastic. So the ultimate fulfilling of being filled with righteousness, when we leave this body, when we are caught up in the rapture or at death when we go to be with the Lord or at His second coming, we will leave this fleshly nature behind and this old fleshly fallen nature that led us into temptation and towards sin so many times. It will be gone, and for the first time ever will truly be more like him than ever before. I I like this. First John three two. Listen closely to this. First John three two. Beloved, now we are the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. So we don't know exactly what we're gonna be, but he says. But we know that when He shall appear, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. Oh, hallelujah, what a day. (laughs) We're going to be like Him. We won't be Him, but we'll be like Him in that we will have the sin nature left behind and never to sin again in the presence of God for all of eternity then that righteousness that we sought on this earth will be fulfilled 100% in his presence. When you get hungry for righteousness and freedom from the power of sin and you long for close fellowship with him, and we can only have close fellowship to Jesus when we seek righteousness. You can't live like the devil. You can't hold hands with the devil and hold hands with Jesus at the same time. So when we find out that there's sin in our life that we need to lay aside, when we lay that aside, we can get closer to him. And when we get like that where we truly have an attitude that we detest sin, we can say like the apostle Paul, "O wretched man that I am. Who's going to save me? Who's going to rescue me? The Lord Jesus. One day he will rescue us completely. We're saved and never going to be lost. When you're saved, you're saved. But we're not saved in our temptations and our trials and our tests and our sins yet. Hungering for righteousness is not a destination in this life, but it is a journey. We talk about the word sanctification, becoming more like Him during this lifetime and won't be fully sanctified until we step into His presence and that's when we lose the sinful flesh and we can't reproduce these things that we study in the Beatitudes we can't reproduce those by efforts from the flesh but it has to come through the fruit of the Spirit of God Galatians chapter 5 when we surrender to Him He can produce that fruit that works its way out in us. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. Thank you for the blessed privilege to know that we can hunger and thirst after righteousness and you've promised that we shall be filled. Oh Lord, I pray that you'd help us tonight to have that attitude that develops immediately that causes us to have a distaste, a disgust for sin. And Lord, help us to develop the attitude that we want to be in fellowship with you Lord, help us to have have that closeness that we can be not just happy, but blessed. Help us to come to that place where nothing matters more than Jesus. Not that we discard everything around us, but that we give Jesus the preeminence in our lives that he deserves. Bless the invitation time, we pray. Our heads are